Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Sorella. Tony was born in Texas, raised in Colorado, Germany, and Virginia, and currently lives in Italy. Tony graduated from the Virginia Military Institute in 2000, after which he was commissioned as an Army officer and later transitioned to the Ordnance Corps. He swore he would just serve for four years and be done. However, 23 years later, time that included multiple tours to Iraq as well as service in Austria, Germany, Italy, South Korea, and the United States, Tony is now about to retire from the Army. Along the way in his career, Tony's military education included the Armor Officer Basic Course, the Combined Logistics Captain's Career Course, and the Command and General Staff College. Along with that, he holds a Master's in International Political Economy of Resources from the Colorado School of Mines and a Doctorate of Education in Organizational Change and Leadership from the University of Southern California. Tony's resume includes a long list of accomplishments during his career and almost a dozen military awards, including the Bronze Star Medal and the Meritorious Service Medal, as well as many others. Tony is married to Bethany and they have 14-year-old twins, He enjoys reading, running, and traveling. I first met Tony through our mutual friend, Russ Watts. Russ has been a repeat guest on the podcast, episodes 4, 26, and 45. So check those out if you have a moment. And Russ, thank you for making the connection for me to Tony. Tony and I connected through this shared interest in the power of storytelling And I am so grateful that Tony agreed to share pieces of his story here, especially during a time of preparing for a major life transition, retiring from the Army after 23 years. In our conversation, Tony courageously shares his reflections, his questions, his concerns. What will life look like after retiring from a career that came with quite a structured lifestyle and in a way a built-in community? Tony shares glimpses into his journey of personal growth and development, learning to take care of himself, addressing combat trauma, and uncovering ways to make major transitions a little less difficult. Tony, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for sharing these insights into your life. Thank you for sharing the wisdom you've gained and continue to gain. And thank you for your candidness as you continue to sort out this major transition that is before you. Tony, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Lisa, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to spend this time with you today. This is one of those conversations that I really look forward to because you and I met through Russ at a story workshop and hearing just little tiny glimpses into your life. I have so many different questions and I know that in the time we have together today, we will really only scratch the surface, but I am, I'm just really looking forward to, and I'm really appreciative of you being willing to, to share. Oh, thank you, Lisa. I, I enjoy intentional conversations and I'm very much looking forward to whichever path 
path we go down today. So let's do it. So the first question I ask all of my guests is around this idea of making life less difficult. And the title of the podcast comes from a quote by Marianne Evans. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear what does that mean to you? Lisa, the word that comes to mind is sharing and less from a you know, sharing the resources that you have in life with you. But the idea of sharing your smiles and your scar tissues. As I've gone through my life and my time in the in the US Army, I've found the most the most good that I can do is by sharing. And to be more precise to whenever you have a personal or a collective success that you're a part of is talking about it. What happened? How did it happen? How did you contribute? And then the flip side is sharing your scars. And, and it, that the immediate thought that comes with that's associated with that is, is being vulnerable. When you don't succeed, when you like colossally screw it up or you didn't prepare or something like that, sharing that with others, for me, it's, it's, been, it's been liberating. I've been able to share when I've made a mistake and others can learn from it. But then, and also hearing that from others, there's a window into how they're navigating life, how they're tackling things, and how you can connect with others. Has that always been part of your life philosophy, or has that been something that you have come to over time? I have slowly dragged myself (laughs) to that point. So I, absolutely not. It was, you know, when I think, when I, oh, good gravy. When I think of 22-year-old me, you know, just joined the Army as an officer, having finished university in Virginia, 100% full of himself. Mostly not in the good ways, right? <laughs> full of pride, full of hubris, wanting to simultaneously save the world and and then run with very little supervision. Um, no, it was, it was a collection. It came to me in a collection of moments over time. And it, it so for me, it took 10 to 15 years hmm. connecting with people. And that's one of the benefits of, of, of service in, in the U S army is you, you truly run into people from all walks of life, people who are born in different countries, different backgrounds, different resources or levels of resources as they're growing up. And having all of those moments with people, whether it's at an ammunition depot in South Korea or while on a convoy in, in Tikrit in Iraq or while uh, back home on leave. It's a series of connections and, and seeing the humanity in others, which allowed me to, I think, evolve works. Yeah, evolve towards being less focused on myself. And then seeing that I could be more of value to others and then me in the end as well by opening up, being vulnerable and sharing or through sharing. I am intrigued by how you just described being more of, I'm not sure if the, if I'm quoting you directly, but more of value to others, but also to yourself. And I'd love to hear you share a little bit more of that, both to others 
and to yourself? Well, the, the broader idea that when you're young and ideals fuel your fire, the broader idea, I think, for many when they join an institution like the Army or some other institution like that, it's a service to something greater than yourself. And that takes time to to accept and to see, because you certainly want to do good. You know, you want to succeed. Your ego is pushing you to, to do things that are good for you. But for me, there was a point where I realized that I can do good in my whatever my role is, whatever my position is. I can do the most good for others when I'm not worried about myself, when I'm not worried about my personal success or in, in the in specific case of this, the army, what my evaluation says at the end of the, the rating period. Yeah. It slowly dawned on me that if you're worried about, if, if, the, if your focus, it slowly dawned on me that if, you're, if your focus is others, in the end, you will take care of yourself. And, it's, and it's, at least it's nourishing. It's enriching. It's like deep, dark soil, the soil that, that plants love to find. Once you find that, once you realize that that's the space that you need to be in and that you can help others be in and work together in, um, it's hard to go back. You absolutely want to be in that space where you're certainly taking care of yourself, but that your focus is on, your primary focus is on how you're impacting others and how you're serving others. It, it seems like one of the incredible benefits of serving in the army or or in the military, and I've heard this from other friends and colleagues who have served, that that sense of camaraderie and community is so deep and and really a beautiful attribute of of military service. That is one hundred percent. Correctly, so the when you are put in challenging physical circumstances that are also emotionally quite challenging, you form a bond with others, and they can last times they truly can. And very quickly, there's a there's a trust built with others, especially when you're in life or death circumstances that is that stays with you. Uh, and that what's intriguing about the way the American army works or the American military works is you often, you often two or three years. So right now we live in Italy as I'm finishing up my time in the army and we've been here for four and a half years. It's the longest we've ever lived anywhere wow. since I joined the army in, in 2000. So you're constantly moving every two, three years. You're, you're moving to a new country, to a new place. And so you build camaraderie with a group of people and then you are intentionally taken out of that and taken to a new group, mm. maybe a completely different circumstance, different role, different function, different area, different place. And you rebuild that camaraderie. There is a baseline wherever you go where you know that if things get really bad, that the people around you are going to take care of you, uh, they'll sacrifice for you. And that, that foundation is what helps people get through some of the traumas that come with this profession. Yeah. I, Tony, I want to kind of open it up 
to for you to jump into your story where it makes sense. Before we started recording, you shared with me that your word for the year is release and you're thinking ahead to this summer a few months away when you'll be retiring after 23 years of service in the army and that's a significant transition and I I'd love to just open it up for you jumping into your story where it makes sense and sharing sharing the pieces of your journey that are really standing out to you at this point in your career and your life and reflection I'm happy to it's been an unusual journey I was came from a middle class background in, in Virginia. And the only reason why I went to university was the army offered me a scholarship. And I was very grateful for that. And so I knew I was going to join the army for a couple of years as a lieutenant after university, because that was the deal. You would pay for school. And you have to join the army for a couple of years. And many people do that. And it's a great way to start life. And there's a tremendous amount of benefits that come on the heels of that. But I swore, Lisa, after four years, I'm done. Like, done. I'm not staying in the army. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm not. No, there's no way I'm staying. I'm going to go get some skills and I'm going to go make millions of dollars. It's going to be fabulous uh-huh. against the backdrop of family members in my army or in my against the backdrop of family members. Uh, like my father was in the army for 30 years. My uncle okay. was in the Navy for 20 plus years. So that was, that was the norm. That's the baseline. That's the story that is my family. So of course I didn't leave it four years. My wife and I met in university and then we were married in 2003, a little early, earlier than we planned because I went to Iraq in 2003 for the initial invasions. That kind of, that was the formative event in my army life. Wow. That was the moment that you've trained up to, am I good enough to lead others? Am I good enough to lead others in combat? Mm. Incredibly formative early part of my career as a young lieutenant and a young captain. So we, I spent a year in Iraq initially from 2003 to 2004. And so that would have been the point where I would have left and said, okay, followed my my original path that didn't happen. Had a really wonderful stretch. I mean, the Army, as I, I mentioned before, um, spent two tours in South Korea, did an exchange tour in Australia, and then there, were, there was another tour in Iraq from 2008-2009, and then I went to graduate school, the School of Mines in Colorado, and then so a wonderful completely unplanned journey to all these different places in the world that's punctuated by like the hard moments, the moments that still stick with you today. You know, I think of, you know, as a young lieutenant going to Iraq for the first time in 2003, that was scary as hell, but it was formative for, you know, could I do what the army asked me to do? Wow. And I was able to, and in between that first tour and second tour to Iraq, my best friend, Captain Eric Foster, who was my roommate when we were living at Fort Hood and went off to Iraq, he was killed in Iraq. Mm. And he was as close to a brother as you could be. And we went, we, my wife and I were living in South Korea. This is before we had kids. And we went back to Pittsburgh and spent time with his family as we buried Eric. And, and I went back to Iraq soon after that and a whole different experience. So I was training Iraqis on a transition team. So it's a story of tremendous opportunity mm. punctuated by some really tough moments. And so when I, to, to bring it back to where we were, where we started, you know, existing in the army is accepting a measure of institutionalization. Again, I, I, I use that word, but I don't, I don't want it to come across as exclusively 
negative. They're certainly positive. I just I just highlighted all these wonderful places we live. You you accept the the rigidity, but you also get security and stability, and that's so what's it's very much a it can at times be a mixed bag. Yeah. And so now this summer I'm I'm stepping away. I'm moving away from the army, and it's been the foundation of my whole life from when I was 18. And, and as I mentioned, my father was in the army. So it is the one constant of my whole life. Wow. It is, it truly is foundational. And so now at 44, soon to be 45, I'm stepping away from that. And I will tell you that that is not an easy lift. Mm. It really isn't. I've been lucky that, that I've had I've started thinking through this about two years ago or started to think through it because it's not a congratulations, you're retired on this day. Let me start thinking about what my identity is after that. There's a there's a lot of work that happens before that or ideally should happen before that. And it happened afterward because if you're I mean, these concepts of identity, community, like where do I fit? Where do I belong? Yeah. What's my self-worth? Do I have worth? outside of the army are my skills transferable. So there is a, there is a bumpy path to navigate. And I've been grateful that I've had a lot of time and space to work through that, but I'm still, it's a journey. Everyone else that I've talked to who's left after 20 plus years is saying, look, it may take, it'll take a couple of years to work through this. It'll take a couple of years to work through this because you've been there. You've been in this system for 20 plus years. And so now you got to figure out, like, who the hell are you after you leave? And so this year is the release. Yeah. It's interesting to you hearing you reflect on it's not just your career and it's not just been the constant for your career, but with your dad's career in the army, it was all you knew growing up as well. And despite your decision to only be in the army for four years after university. Here you are looking at retiring from your own career after 23 years. And I mean, I think what you're touching on is, is part of what we hear in stories of veterans and, and the struggle, right? And when you've been in a community that is so tight and, and going through life and death experiences, the emotional bonds there. I, and again, I'm just thinking through that from stories that I've heard, but this is part of the challenge for military personnel, veterans. And I mean, I, I'm so curious to hear some of your thoughts about how you are processing it, your thoughts for, I guess, it, well, to bring it back to making life less difficult, I think it's got to be like really difficult. And are there ways to make it less difficult? And if they are, what might those be? I think there are. And I, I absolutely think that it is, it is incredibly difficult. About two years ago, I realized that I, I was going to have an identity after the army. I was going to leave the army. And I went to a nonprofit called the Commit Foundation. And they walked me through a program to find, to help me identify my purpose after the army, mm. you know, value, meaning some of the, the constructs or the ideas I'd highlighted earlier. And that was when I was first exposed to coaching. Mm. I'd never been coached before. And I will tell you, Lisa, just five sessions with Jason, I can say now that was when I started to transition. 
just in five sessions with Jason asking me questions about purpose, value, direction, it triggered so many positive changes in me. I actually started to take care of myself physically. When we have, there is an, an idea in the military and other organizations like it that, especially if you're an officer or a leader, that you just suck it up. You just, you do what you have to do. I would argue that I, as I look back now, that self-care was wholly at the surface level. Mm. What can I do to stay sharp and active enough to get through this day, the next day, this week, this exercise, this training event? I didn't start taking care of myself until the spring of 2021, mm. about two years ago. That led me to that moment. Those conversations led me to taking care of myself physically. What, what am I eating? Mm. How much water am I drinking? How much time am I spending doing things that are not particularly valuable? It led me to therapy for combat-related trauma that I had ignored mm. for a long time. And it also led me to, it was like, wow, coaching is, it's amazing. I need to learn how to do that. And then it led me to the, the coaching program at Georgetown, which was that six-month program was on the, the most impactful experience of my life, which only reinforced the idea of taking care of myself. Hmm. And so when you, when you think about leaving the army or something like it after, you know, a long stretch of time, the advice I would offer is start thinking about it as early as you can. And there's some very practical stuff, like where do I want to live? What does it mean? Like what, what job do I want to have? But there it's, that's relatively easy. That you know, that generally sorts itself out. It's the emotional stuff that's much more challenging. Mm. Um, who the hell am I after the? What does it mean that I'm leaving the army? Is it going to be challenging? And I want to. I need to before I forget your family. Good God, they've been on this journey with you. What does it mean that you're leaving? You're not just leaving. They're leaving an institution that has provided them security, stability. What does it mean for them? And how early can you start having that conversation? And again, there's a lot of practical stuff like LinkedIn, job searches. Those are resumes. Those are all really valuable. I would argue that's the easy stuff. It's the, I am, my identity is the two, the two areas that come to mind are identity and community. My identity is changing. That community you highlight, I am leaving that community at the same time. That is not an easy thing to, to, to stumble through. So if you have time and space to think through that, to chew on that, to talk with people about it, to talk with other people who have done it, what it means to your family, anything you can do to start thinking about it as early as possible, to think about identity and community as you're leaving will serve others. And I'll also add, if you're a coach or a mentor, someone who's working with someone who's navigating that space, helping them see, helping someone who's leaving see the scope of what they're about to go through because it is not it is one hell of a big step yeah yeah it is and something that you know strikes me and, and this can be with other professions as well but i think particularly in the army or military when you've been in it as a career it's not just a job it's not just a career it's a lifestyle you were mentioning family you You've been moving with your family. Your kids have grown up in this lifestyle. There is the lifestyle of moving every two or three years. And 
I know just for myself, I have a few little parallels in the foreign service life and being a spouse. And over the past 11 years that we've been doing this, I'm like, oh, I've finally gotten good at this. So when my husband talks about maybe leaving the foreign service, I'm like, hold on a second. No, I just figured out this lifestyle and now you're going to change it up on me again. So, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of implications that impact not just you, but your family as well. And so it, it makes sense that it's, that this is significant and significant changes take, take time to transition. And so for those people telling you ahead of time, Hey, expect it to take a, a few years. I am curious of how, I mean, at this point on this side, before you retire, how does that sound to you? Cause I think I'll just say this. I'll try to say this briefly. Sometimes when people kind of warn me ahead of time, like, oh, this is going to take some time. Give yourself time. I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'll get it figured out. I'll go through it faster. <laughs> like, and I'm just curious. It's one thing to hear those realizations. And then it's another thing to kind of like figure out, okay, well, how do I play that out in practice? You're, you're absolutely right. Because I, when I was, you know, I was at 16, 17, 18 years, and I would hear people saying, oh, you need to think about this for years. I'm like, okay, that's great. You know, have a, have a Coke and a smile. It's going to be fine. No, I don't, I don't believe you. Right. And so you can hear it, but you got to feel it. Right. And so whenever I've had the opportunity to sit down with others who are, you know, five years out, a couple years out, instead of telling them the practical stuff, like, okay, get your LinkedIn, do all these, these practical things. I, I tended, I'm drawn towards, the emotional stuff to plant a seed for someone to start thinking about it three years out, you know, the idea of identity, what does it mean to not, I mean, an example is what does it mean to not wear a uniform every day where your name is written on it? Your rank is um, your rank and all the status and gravitas that it carries with it is on your chest every day. You see it, you project it into everything in your life. You internalize it. What happens when that goes away? So using examples like the change in what you wear can be an opportunity or a seed for someone to start thinking about it. And then also, you know, the emotional stuff of how do you, how do you introduce yourself? Mm. Okay. I'm, I'm Tony Sorella or Tony Trella. I'm a, I'm an army officer. I can't say it anymore in about six months because I used to do that. So what am I now? So those very intimate conversations about things that are seemingly quite subtle can help plant the seed for someone to start thinking about it. Because as you highlighted, like, yeah, yeah, everyone's done this before. It's worked out pretty well. Well, sometimes it doesn't work out that well. There are some people that really struggle with this. When you look at the stats for veterans in the U.S., whether they serve for four years or 30 years, it, it is quite the challenge and the stats for how the veteran community is doing are not great, but there have been improvements. So it's, I take the chance to have those conversations whenever I can in the hopes that it makes someone else's transition a little less bumpier, a little smoother. And, and then that, that of course echoes into beyond them in their family in their communities, their extended families. So you're alleviating what could be wholly unnecessary stress, additional trauma, 
by sitting down and having deliberate conversations about this momentous change that is going to come. It will happen. <laughs> so start thinking about it as soon as you can. Yeah. No, and it's, uh, I mean, what you're describing in you're hoping to make a difference in somebody's life by sharing your journey, your story, describing your emotions. It just, it resonates so deeply with why I do this podcast, because there seems to be this human way of thinking that I'm alone. Nobody understands what I'm going through. And yet every time I hear somebody else's story, it reminds me I'm, I'm not alone. Other people get it. And yes, their path is, has unique aspects and is a little bit different and human emotion, right? There's just so much connection and so many parallels. And I think it's just so powerful for the, the sharing of story. So again, like I'm really grateful to hear these pieces of your story and your processing. And I'm, I'm curious if you're willing, Tony, to talk a little bit about where you are in your journey of identity and thinking ahead to your identity and however much you're willing to share about that processing and where you are right now. Mm. I really like what you just shared, Lisa, about, you know, the, the commonality, the, the common veins that run through all the stories. It's one of the reasons what I, what I was drawn to, to the podcast, because there's so much more we have in common than, than we have that's different. So, mm. especially when we're struggling. Yeah. Identity. About 2016, 2017, I realized that at some point I was going to leave the army. And so I started to try to figure out, started to start to try to have that conversation inside of myself. So I started to figure out, okay, I need shiny badges to translate my worth outside of the army. And the, this, this, this journey, I can see now that this journey is wholly rooted in fear. Mm. I have a set of skills I've done well. Does it translate? Mm. Do people know what it means to have been Lieutenant Colonel in the, in the army? done these things, right? This list of accomplishments. Okay. And so I'm like, okay, I need to go find things that I can put on a resume. Long wandering journey. I go and get a doctorate with USC to see if I fit in academia. Now it was a tremendous, tremendously challenging experience. I studied the army's 360, which I, I love 360s. I think they're fantastic assessment tools. But in the end, I go through this experience. I earned a doctorate and I'm like, no, it's not where I fit. Right. And I even want to highlight here imposter syndrome, right? I'm I'm relatively successful, right? I earned a doctorate two years ago. Just about three months ago, I got okay with calling myself doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so so I wander, I go, I, my background in the army is logistics. So I'm like, okay, I'll go do Lean Six Sigma, right? Because that's and I did that. And it's just it's I'm I know there are people that love it. It's just terribly boring for me. I went and did the project management certification, which I can say without any regret that it is the most boring certification you can possibly get. I've done lots of project management. I hope I never have to manage another project again. That said, I went and did that. It's, it's this, this, this journey rooted in fear. How do I translate my worth mm. outside of the army? So I do all these things and end, I end up you know, with coaching. And that's where I'm like, yes, this fuels my fire. This brings me joy. I can still be of service to others. And it's in a broader community, people outside of the army, people with wholly different backgrounds, different stories. And so now 
to bring the train home to the station about identity, I'm drawn to the idea of introducing myself. You know, before it's, you know, hi, my name is Tony. I'm, I'm a captain, I'm Captain Tony, right? Captain Sorella or Lieutenant Colonel Sorella. I'm an officer in the army or I'm a soldier. And so, as I mentioned before, I don't, I'm not going to say that anymore. It's, it's part of my story, but it's, it's in the past. I'm setting parts of it down. I need to set part of that identity down. Not in a bad way. I don't need to shed it. I don't need to cast it aside. It's there. It's always going to be there. Mm. The good bits and the bad bits will always echo in me. And so my, if someone asks me now, like, what do you do, Tony? I said, well, okay, I'm leaving the army, but I'm a coach. But Lisa, even just saying that, hearing myself say that has a tremendous impact on me because it means that I'm, I'm taking a tiny step away from who I was before. And it means so much to me that it's something that I feel passionately about and that I can continue serving, serving others. And so the evolution continues. Um, and I think, and I hope that it, it continues to change and there's more nuances and shades to it. I, I want it to be, this is the most consequential, this is the most consequential transition in my life. And when I look back at, you know, when I joined the army and why I joined the army, it was easily the most uninformed choice I ever made. Hmm. And now I'm at 44, 45, and this is the first truly informed decision that I'm making. And so I'm changing my identity, but I'm heading as I change my identity. I know that I'm doing it in service to others and also in service to me. Yeah. Well, and, and Tony, I just want to, or should, can I start calling you Dr. Tony, Dr. Sorella <laughs> to help with your transition to accepting the title? <laughs> we can start helping with the transition of identity right here and now. <laughs> oh, good gravy. No, <laughs> I just want to take a moment to affirm you in your intentionality and that this is a process that you have been thinking about and reflecting on and being intentional towards for years. And I don't run into a lot of people who are this intentional and thoughtful in thinking ahead. And I just want to take a moment to just really affirm your view of this. It's almost like, you know, we talk about being on the balcony where where we're kind of looking down and it's almost like you have been on the balcony for a while looking down noticing, Hey, this is going to be really significant for me. And and it's still a few years in the future. Now it's still a few months in the future. And yet from this view on the balcony, you're noticing, you're observing and really seeking ways to care for yourself. Kind of coming back to that idea of self-care, um, proactively, which is, I think quite rare. I'm grateful for you sharing that observation. The part that most lands with me is, is the idea of self-care. I mentioned earlier that all of the self-care that I did was serviceable in the past. And so now I'm on the balcony and I can see how I have and have not primarily taken care of myself. Mm. But And I'll, I'll add to the balcony, right? There's steps that go up to the side and there's a little gate at the top. And so there's versions of me in between who I was and with that intentionality, who I can be. And there's versions of me on different steps 
And the way that I'm taking care of myself is different with each step. It's richer. It's more deliberate. It's more intentional to bring that word in. And I'm stepping into, as I go up with each step, stepping into a healthier, I'm stepping into a healthier version of myself. And I see how that, that care and concern for self is obviously very good for me, but it's also, it's great for my family. It's great for my extended family. And it's great. It's going to be great. And it is great for every person that I am connecting with every client I have now, every client I have in the future, every person, you know, facilitation workshop or whatever it is, I will be better at serving others if I'm taking care of myself. And I don't know. And I can say with confidence that would not have happened had it not been for this, for this transition from, from the army. It's really powerful. Yeah. No, it's really, really powerful. I was thinking about this last night, Lisa, and a metaphor came to mind, if you don't mind me sharing it. Mm-hmm. So I visualize a house, and it's the first 20 years of my professional space, you know, being in the Army. It's a house, and the exterior looks it's very shiny. It's very exciting. But you go inside, and it's not very well maintained. It's very dark, damp. It's not, it's not nurturing. It's not sustaining. And so by some external trigger or event, and in this case, it's leaving the army, you wander through the house, you open up windows that have never been opened. And then in doing so, you open a curtain in a, in a, a dusty room and you see out the back of the house. And there's another house behind it that you couldn't see before. Hmm. You didn't even know it was there. So you step out into the sun you walk towards this new house and the facade, the exterior is, it looks compared to the original one. It looks plain, boring as all hell, just a normal little house. Right. But then you go inside and you've got these rich um, mahogany, lovely wooden floors, library here, a little reading nook there. There's lots of light. It's healthy. It's supportive. It's vibrant, and there are more rooms in that house than the original house could have ever had. Mm. And so now I stand here at the threshold, leaving that first house, entering the second house, and of course, right above the threshold is the word release, Mm. and I'm walking in that door this year, and I'm excited. Wow. It's a powerful and beautiful metaphor and picture it it also brings up for me, Tony, the courage that it takes to step out of that first house and take the step towards the the second house. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm thinking more about that 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 point of transition when you're leaving the first house. Uh, but now I'm imagining that as you're leaving that house, the door doesn't open cleanly or smoothly. You have to you have to. It's one of those doors where you're. Like this is not working, right? What the hell's wrong with this door? And you have to give it a, a bit of a push to leave. And when you do, you're just struck by the sun. You're like, oh, of course, this is where I needed to go. Shit, I I didn't know that two minutes ago. Of course, this is my next step. And there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It brings up for me ideas around transformation and 
very different journey, but some of the connections for me, there was a time where I really resisted the idea that I had been transformed over my life events. I'm like, no, 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 I'm still the same person. And yeah, you know, some things have changed, but I am still the same. I haven't, I haven't transformed into something else, someone else. And somewhere along the line, I don't even remember what kind of took me across the threshold, but I realized, oh, actually, I'm I'm completely transformed. And yes, there's a core part of me that comes along with that transformation, but it really is a complete and total transformation. And that's what comes to mind for me as it's leaving mm-hmm. this one house. I resisted. Like, no, no, no. I know this house. It might not be really pretty, but I know it. I'm comfortable in it. And no, uh, I don't want to leave it. And and yet that other house offers so much. Yeah, I really appreciate what you described there, Lisa, because I and I'm drawn to the idea of, of the other house, it's comfortable. It's known. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the phrase like comfortably numb comes to mind when thinking about Pink Floyd, but when you're in that house, you're comfortably numb. You are, you're there, you know what it's like, but there's parts of you that you may or may not be able to feel that are closed off, that are numb, and that you, you, you may not even know are there. Yeah. Oh, thanks for joining me on that journey. I was, that, that was, that was enjoyable. I appreciated sharing that. Mm, thank you for sharing. And it, I, I, I I mean, I guess this is what I do. I circle back to the theme of the podcast. Again, what you are describing, I think is one of the things in life that I think about as a challenge and there's no magic wand to make it easy and to make it all just happen smoothly with no bumps or back steps or this or that. And yet there's, there's ways to, to make it a little less difficult. And even just this beautiful metaphor that you have painted is so powerful. And it, it, it brings this sense of, okay, well, it makes it a little less difficult for me to push through that back door and step out of that house into the sunlight, because I have now that vision of the next step, the next part Mm. of the journey. And so even something as, as simple as a metaphor can really open up this idea of, okay, well, it makes it just a little less difficult. That's the, that's the power of stories and the power of connecting. Yes. Mm. Tony, would now be a good time for me to, to ask you to share a little bit again, before we started recording, you were, we talked about a variety of things but bringing it back to stories and connecting with others, someone who has had a career as you have had in the army, you've been deployed to active war zones multiple times. And you mentioned sharing some of the perspective from a career perspective with some high school students. I don't want to say too much because I want to let you say it in words, but you, you know where I'm going. And I would like to just kind of like turn it over to you of how you talked about your journey and, and, and really from this essence of helping other people understand how to connect with those who have had really challenging times in life 
and maybe don't know quite how to connect or questions to ask. Um, so I'll, it's not a very well-formed question, but I'll stop talking and let you take over. <laughs> I think we know, I think, I, I think I know where we need to go. So last year, um, I was volunteering at my kid's school and talking to students who are, you know, a year or two from university or on the cusp of considering what they want to do with their lives. And so we, I coordinated and others coordinated bringing in people from different professions, doctors, architects. And I came in and spoke about my career in the army. And before I went through and described my story, I, I opened with a thought to share with the young students because war conflict is simultaneously terrific and just terrible. Mm. I remember as a young man being absolutely fascinated by it. And that is not unique to me. So there are many people who will come up to you when they know your profession and ask you questions that are wholly innocent when you consider the intent or the motivation for the question asked, the person asking the question. And so I prefaced my discussion about my career with the students. I said, look, I want to share this with you. There are professions where you are routinely exposed to trauma. Doctors, nurses, police, paramedics, first responders, and certainly those who serve in the military. It's part of the deal. It's unfortunately the way it works. And so when you approach someone and all you know about them is their profession, you don't know their story, and you ask them a question like, have you ever killed anyone? Have you ever seen anyone die? Have you ever seen a dead body? I, from my from my experience, 99% of the time that person is asking because it's intriguing to them. However, what I offered and what I shared with the students is consider where you're taking that person with that question. You are taking them from a very safe space where they feel very comfortable, ideally, and you are dragging them back to what could have been the worst day of their life mm. without them having a choice. And also when they're maybe in a public forum, feeling like they have an obligation to describe that that moment or that series of moments that happened to them. And so I offered to consider where you take that person when you ask that question. Even if your intent is wholly admirable or it's rooted in curiosity, and there's no malice behind it most of the time. And that's that's where I would that's where I would take this, Lisa. Is when when you have people in your space, be they veterans, police, again, all of those professions and others that I didn't highlight. When you are genuinely genuinely curious about their stories, sometimes which are unfortunately really painful, and they they echo in people, and will forever. There are days that I will never be able to sit down. They will always be with me, and that's not unique to me. That is. That is the burden that we carry. And so let that story come out naturally. Mm. Let it come out in his or her and their time of choosing when they feel safe, mm. when they're not forced back into that moment. Because it doesn't take much to, to put someone back in a really bad day. Mm. And I said that at the top or at the beginning of the discussion with the students because what I didn't want to happen was for some or for an innocent, you know, 
or person to ask a question that is wholly innocent. And then to me, for me to have to say that after they ask that question, and then they're in a position where like, shit, I feel bad now. And now I feel like I've tarnished this moment or the time that comes after that. So while it was certainly heavy up front at the top, I did so and do often so that people, that no one feels embarrassed for their curiosity. Yeah. But they consider how their curiosity lands on others. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate so much you you sharing that, Tony. And I think that it's really important for, for each of us to hear that. And one of the, the ideas it brings up for me is, you know, in, in the work of storytelling, we talk about considering the environment and what stories um, are like for me, I have certain stories that I might feel comfortable sharing in a certain environment with a certain audience, but then I wouldn't share those in other contexts with other individuals. And we sometimes talk about sharing stories from a place of scars rather than wounds. And, and, and yet some of those stories that are still wounds, I know for my own life, finding the right environments to tell them oftentimes with a professional counselor, therapist, or coach can be really helpful and healing. But there's a, there's a real respect there of other people's stories are their stories. And, um, you know, how can we, how can we honor that and respect that space and also open the door for sharing if the other person would like to, or is in a space to share. Uh, you're right. I, I, I'm drawn to the idea of you're building a bridge and that the person that you're sitting with can choose to cross that bridge or not, mm. but you haven't, you're not pushing them across it, but you're just sitting there on the bridge with mm. them, ready to go with them along the story if they choose to. Yeah. I love the, the visual of sitting with someone there's a relational aspect to what I really hear you saying. So if someone comes up to you and asks a question of, Hey, have you ever seen anybody die right in front of you? And there's no relational context. It's so harsh and, and does have an element. I mean, what's coming, the word that's coming up for me is disrespect. And, and yet when those relational bridges are built and, and we can respectfully offer listening or a space for short storytelling, an intentional space for that. Um, it has the potential of being trans transformational mm-hmm. for both the storyteller yeah. and the story listeners. And it's constructive, which is especially relevant when you talk about when you, you're thinking about a moment that is or may have been destructive. So there's a duality there that is that lands with me. Mm. The other thing that comes up for me is the the I'll call it a skill because I think we all can develop this, but the the skill of receiving someone's story, holding a space for it without needing to respond. I think human nature is you tell a story and then that 
makes me think of a story. And so then I'm going to tell my story and we kind of like one up each other's stories. And it's, that doesn't create a deep relational connective transformative space. <laughs> and so that I, I really, I feel quite passionate about that space of, of holding someone else's story of receiving that story. And sometimes stories can be really emotional and deep and moving and we don't know what to say after. And I, I think it's from, I'm trying to remember what it is from somewhere I learned along the way of just the simple response. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. And that leads me to the idea of, of accepting that silence we were talking about earlier or before Mm -hmm. the podcast is that there are so few places in our lives where you have a space to just be heard or two. There there are so few places in our life where people feel truly heard. Yes. Where someone will listen without judgment and where you won't, or you won't find someone who is desperate to reply, desperate to fill the silence. And I have become so much more appreciative of, of silence in conversations because as you mentioned we are so conditioned it's 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 sometimes it's unbearable right the discomfort of oh five seconds of silence when having a conversation with somebody it's too no it's actually really fantastic it's amazing to create a little bit of space and a bit of silence to let people think to let you think Mm yeah Mm. Yeah. Tony, I am incredibly grateful for this time with you and this conversation. And what I, I feel like we need to put a to be continued on this conversation, because I would absolutely love to have you back. I'm not sure when, when it would be, and maybe it's multiple times post retirement, but I'd love to hear, right. To be continued. How, how, how are you doing? What, what is it that you're processing? What is coming up for you when you're three months past retirement or, you know, further down the road. So I'd love to invite you to come back and for this conversation indeed to be continued. Oh, that Lisa, that sounds fabulous. I am absolutely a flutter with excitement. I and I'm grateful. I would very much it would be a nice bookend to come back and describe, you know, where I sit after having transitioned. And thank you for this space to to be able to tell parts of my story. It's it means a lot to me. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult.